Thank you, Kent. Well, I have to balance all those lies about good things about me <laughs> with telling you the truth. Uh, so for those of you who know me, you'll know that I am not handy at all. Maintaining and maintenance is not my forte. It's not my thing. Um, but I do love new beginnings. And so every summer growing up, I would go like the first day of summer and I'd go clean my room, deep clean it, take out everything because it was inevitably a garbage pit of clothes and who knows what else. But every summer, I would clean it all out and it would be perfect. And then I would try not to touch it till next year when I had to do it again. But maintaining is not my forte, but new things are. I was actually just meeting with Dan Crawl the other day. We were talking about our favorite movies. And after we left, what I realized is all my favorite movies had one common theme. And that theme was a new beginning and redemption. Every character had a time when they could have a fresh start. And tomorrow, no, two days, almost, New Year's is coming. And so we have a chance to have a fresh start for 2009 to begin. 2019, thank you. <laughs> Somebody, oh, I didn't, I didn't wear a watch, that's why. So this fresh start, this clean start, is not unlike what the kingdom of Israel was going through um, in the early first millennia BC. So this morning I'm going to be speaking from 2 Kings 18 through 20 on the reign of Hezekiah. Um, so if you want to open your Bibles there, um, I'll pray. <laughs> God, we thank you so much for this wonderful day. We thank you so much for your word. Um, and God, I just pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart would be acceptable to you, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. So let me give you some background. And I'm going to quiz you guys because you're all going to be uh, Mideastern historians today. So Hezekiah was a king of Judah around 700 BC. And to frame that into a bigger context, you all know King David. He was a king in around 1000 BC in the Middle East. And do we have a, I think we can take you to where they are, if we have a little video taking you from City Hill to there, maybe. There's where we are. And then we'll take us over to Israel, to the Middle East. So, you all know King David, around 1000 BC. And his son, King Solomon, you might remember, was known as the wisest man who ever lived. He ruled in the mid-900s mid uh, BC. And Solomon was favor, uh, famous for building what? Good job. You guys are Middle East historians. Solomon built the temple. Keep that in mind. That's going to be important. Because during this time period, the people of God, the Israelites, were told to only make sacrifices and only worship in that temple that Solomon built. But here's what happened. After Solomon died, the kingdom was split north and south. The northern kingdom was called Israel, and the southern kingdom was called Judah. If you read Kings and Chronicles, you'll hear through all of those various kings that ruled. And um, the northern kingdom was kind of north, up closer in Lebanon and Damascus, that area. And the southern kingdom, Judah, was more around Jerusalem. And I have to warn you, if you do read through Kings and Chronicles, it gets a little bit depressing. Because every king 
every new rain is a new chance, a new start for the people of God to follow him, to turn back to his law. So when you're reading, you're like, okay, maybe this king. Okay, maybe not. Okay, maybe this king. Okay, maybe not. And so Israel, the northern kingdom, goes through 19 kings, and it says all of them were bad. Judah, the southern kingdom, had 20 kings, and depending on how high you set the bar for good, you get between two and eight kings that were actually good. But the best king, the Bible says, the best king of Judah was Hezekiah. So if we read uh, in 2 Kings verse, uh, chapter 18, verse 5, it said, He trusted in the Lord, the God of Israel, so that there was none like him among all the kings of Judah after him, nor among those who were before him. So what did Hezekiah do to make his reign so great? And what can we learn from his story as we start our new beginning this next year to make our year like the reign of Hezekiah? So to get the details of how he started, we actually have to uh, jump to 2 Chronicles 29. And we're going to start in verse 3. So in the first year of his reign, in the first month, he opened the doors of the house of the Lord and repaired them. He brought in the priests and the Levites and assembled them in the square in the east and said to them, Hear me, O Levites, now consecrate yourselves and consecrate the house of the Lord, the God of your fathers, and carry out the filth from the holy place. So remember the temple that Solomon built? The one place that the Israelites were supposed to worship? So apparently that had closed. It had closed down and become a storage room for treasure. And the priests the people who were supposed to be burning incense at all times and offering sacrifices to God. It doesn't say where they went, but they weren't at the temple. So Hezekiah, the first thing of his reign, opens up the temple. He cleans it out. He gets rid of all this junk, and it says there's silver and stuff. He, he fixes the doors, and he says, priests, consecrate yourselves. Get clean again. Let's get this thing running. And so after he reinstates the priest, he has this massive offering and there's a huge party and they have um, sacrificing tons of bulls and rams and um, they really want to celebrate Passover. Everyone is so excited. There's people coming from all over to come back and see the newly opened temple and to have Passover. But the problem was they couldn't consecrate the priests fast enough for Passover and it was coming. And so what they had to do is they had to celebrate Passover a month late, in the second month instead of the first month. That's like us randomly celebrating Christmas in January, although in this time a lot more serious. And as we read, if we go to uh, Chronicles 30, um, starting in verse 18, For a majority of the people, many of them from Ephraim, Manasseh, Issachar, and Zebulun, had not cleansed themselves, yet they ate the Passover otherwise than prescribed. For Hezekiah had prayed for them, saying, May the good Lord pardon everyone who sets his heart to seek God the Lord, the God of his fathers, even though not according to the sanctuary's rules of cleanness. And the Lord heard Hezekiah and healed the people. So they were so excited to be in the presence of God again that they broke a bunch of the rules but God forgave them as he so wanted to be with them. So after he reopened the temple, there was a week of celebration and they extended it an extra week. 
everyone left to go back to their homes. And on their way, we see in, uh, back to 2 Kings now, 18.4. This was all credited to Hezekiah. They all did this. He removed the high places and broke the pillars and cut down the Asherah. And he broke in pieces the bronze serpent that Moses had made. For until these days, the people of Israel had made offerings to it. So for some more background, the high places were areas that the Canaanites, the people originally in the promised land, that's where they worshiped their gods. They worshiped Baal and they worshiped Asherah, who was a mother god, a consort of Baal. And what happened over time is it got a little less convenient for the Israelites to go to the temple. The temple closed. So they started worshiping Yahweh, the true God, at these high places. It fit better in with the culture. It was a little more convenient. And then eventually they started melding them together and they started saying, well, Ash, you know, Asher is a, is a consort of Yahweh. And eventually they had forgotten how they were supposed to worship altogether. But Hezekiah had all the people go out and destroy those places because he remembered what God had said through Moses, which is if we turn to Deuteronomy 12, starting in verse 2. This was back many hundreds of years before Hezekiah. Moses said this, you shall surely, this is through God, you shall surely destroy all the places where the nations whom you shall dispossess serve their gods on the high mountains and on the hills and under every green tree. You shall tear down their altars and dash in pieces their pillars and burn their asherim with fire. You shall chop down the carved images of their gods and destroy their name out of that place. You shall not worship the Lord your God in that way, but you shall seek the place that the Lord your God will choose out of all your tribes to put his name and make his habitation there. There you shall go. So Moses didn't even know where God was going to put his name later. But now we know in this time that it's the temple. So Hezekiah honored this ancient command and destroyed the idols and the high places. So in his reign, things are looking pretty good now. So Hezekiah, you know, the people love it. The temple's back open. Everyone's celebrating. The high places are destroyed. Everything's great. But now Hezekiah is going to run into another force that all you Middle Eastern scholars know was going on in the 8th century BC, and that would be, nice, there's a couple people that got it. This is the time of the Assyrian Empire. Do we have, I think we have, so Assyria has taken over everybody. Um, so Assyria is coming from the northeast of where they were, and in the fourth year of Hezekiah's reign, the northern kingdom, their sister kingdom, uh, was taken over by the Assyrians, and all the people were shipped off, shipped off to different places of the kingdom or of the uh, Assyrian Empire. Ten years later, now the king of Assyria attacks Judah, attacks Hezekiah's people, and he basically surrounds every single city. They have they have Judah dead to rights. They're totally surrounded. What are they going to do? So Hezekiah uh, sends a message to Sennacherib, the king of Assyria, and is like, okay, you win. How about I, I'll, I'll pay you some money, I'll pay you a tribute, and you can go. And so Sennacherib's like, okay, here, give me some gold and silver. And so Hezekiah takes all the junk that they'd taken out of the temple, which was a storage room now, and gives it. That's his tribute. And Sennacherib said, thanks for all your money. 
I'm still going to take you over. So then we pick up uh, in verse 19. So um, the king of Assyria had sent the Rabshakeh, which is his cupbearer, but Rabshakeh sounds cooler and more intimidating when you're trying to take people over. Uh, so the Rabshakeh, let's go back to verse 19. And the Rabshakeh said to them, Say to Hezekiah, Thus says the great king, the king of Assyria, On what do you rest this trust of yours? Do you think that mere words are strategy and power for war? In whom do you now trust that you have rebelled against me? So he can't fathom why this tiny nation, when totally surrounded, totally dead to rights, would think that he could just barter his way out, that Hezekiah could just get off with paying some money, say, who, who are you? He can't fathom it. And so if you, if you continue on, he tries to figure out what Hezekiah's game is. He says, are you, are you trusting in Egypt? Like if you look, well, back on the map, um, Egypt is where they're going to go and try to attack next. So they can't fathom why they would uh, revolt without some kind of help. And then he starts mocking him, saying, okay, Hezekiah, if you can find anyone to come out and try to fight us, I'll give you 2,000 horses. You can put your men on them and come fight me. If you can find literally anyone to come ride one. And uh, Hezekiah's people who were meeting with the Rabshakeh um, kind of go, shh, okay, don't, maybe don't talk so loud. And they actually ask the Rabshakeh to speak in a different language so Hezekiah's people can't hear what he's doing, that he's mocking them. Um, but the Rabshakeh just yells even louder and says, hey, people over there, if you give up now, you can stay in your houses and we'll deport you to a place that's just like your house in a little bit. So what does Hezekiah do? So in 2 Kings chapter 19 now, people deliver his people deliver the message of the Rabshakeh to Hezekiah. In verse 19, as soon as King Hezekiah heard it, he tore his clothes and covered himself with sackcloth and went into the house of the Lord. He didn't strategize, or he didn't even run to Isaiah the prophet who was there during that time. He could have asked, hey! Um, and said he just ran to the temple, he ran before God, and he cried. Then later he sent to get Isaiah. And Isaiah said, don't worry, Assyria is leaving. The king of Assyria is going to die. In his own land, it's fine. But Assyria didn't leave. They just started taking over the Philistines, which are just to the west. And while they waited for Judah to give up, they sent another message. They basically sent a letter describing all the gods and all the kings of the nations before him that they've destroyed. So now what does Hezekiah do when he gets this letter? This is up to verse 14 now. Hezekiah received the letter from the hand of the messengers and read it. And Hezekiah went up to the house of the Lord and spread it before the Lord. And Hezekiah prayed before the Lord and said, O Lord, the God of Israel, enthroned above the cherubim, you are the God, you alone of all the kingdoms of the earth. You have made heaven and earth. Incline your ear, O Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, O Lord, and see. And hear the words of Sennacherib, which he has sent to mock the living God. Truly, O Lord, the kings of Assyria have laid waste to the nations and their lands, 
and have cast their gods into the fire. For they were not gods, but the work of men's hands, wood and stone. Therefore they were destroyed. So now, O Lord our God, save us please from his hand that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you, O Lord, are God alone. Can you see that picture? The great king gets this message and he takes, his, he takes the message and he runs to the temple and lays it out in front of God and again cries out to God. God answered the prayer of Hezekiah and in verse 35 we hear how an angel in the night killed 185,000 of the Syrian troops and they departed back to their land. And later, uh, Sennacherib was killed by one of his sons to fulfill what Isaiah prophesied. After all that excitement, after all that Hezekiah has now been through, he falls deathly ill. Isaiah came to his deathbed and says, and this is in uh, verse 20, or chapter 20. Thus says the Lord, set your house in order, for you shall die you shall not recover. Talk about a rough prophecy. And from Isaiah, like Isaiah, like book Isaiah, if Isaiah comes to your bed and says, you're going to die, you're not going to recover. That's tough. That's tough. But what does Hezekiah do? Just like when the Rabshakeh threatened and when the message came to him, let's see in verse 2 in chapter 20, Then Hezekiah turned his face to the wall and prayed to the Lord, saying, Now, O Lord, please remember how I have walked before you in faithfulness and with a whole heart and have done what is good in your sight. And Hezekiah wept bitterly. He was too weak to get to the temple, so he did all he could. He couldn't run to the temple anymore. All he could was turn his head towards it. And we continue in verse 4. And before Isaiah had gone out of the middle court, the word of the Lord came to him. Turn back and say to Hezekiah, the leader of my people, thus says the Lord, the God of David, your father, I have heard your prayer. I have seen your tears. Behold, I will heal you. On the third day, you shall go up to the house of the Lord and I will add 15 years to your life. I will deliver you and the city out of the hand of the king of Assyria. I will defend the city for my own sake and for my servant David's sake. Every time Hezekiah is faced with something, he runs to God. He runs to God. And when he can't run, he turns. Anything he can do just to be with God. That's what made Hezekiah a great king. As I mentioned earlier, with each new king of Judah, there was a fresh start, a new chance, a new time when the people could follow God. And most were not great, but Hezekiah's reign was special. And for us, as it's almost the new year, a time for a fresh start, a new beginning, a new chance. So what can we do this year to make sure that our year is like the reign of Hezekiah? The first thing, and again, if you only remember one thing from all my ramblings, remember this. Whatever you have, 
whatever you're going through, whatever you're facing, bring it to God and work it out with him. Bring it to God. Everything that came Hezekiah's way, he delivered, even physically delivered to the temple and held it out in front of God. Have you ever done that? When you get a diagnosis at the doctor and they give you the little sheet of paper that says what's wrong and what we're trying to do to fix it, do you take that and do you hold it before God? Do you give it to him? Or do you, like me, exhaust all the possible medical outlets and ask other people to pray for you and then only when you're super desperate say, God, what about this? We want to bring it to God. The main thing that made Hezekiah's reign great was that he was with God. And that's what God wants. Do you remember how he ignored the temple restrictions, cleanliness? That's a, that was a big deal in that time. He ignored it just so his people could be with him. I love my wife and our marriage because I've learned so much about God through it. And marriage experts like John Gottman will say that it doesn't matter what you fight about. It doesn't matter what you talk about or fix together. What matters is that you talked and how you talked and how you connected and how you stayed together. In 10 years, it's not going to matter what my wife and I plan to do this next week. It's not going to matter. But what will matter is that we came together and we planned it together, that we were together. That connection is what stays. That connection is what matters. And how much more with God? It doesn't matter what you bring to him. Hurts, joys, sickness, stresses, job promotions. It only matters that you brought it to him and that you connected with him over it. Um, Mike Nelson was here a couple weeks ago and he touched on a really key truth when he was talking about healing. Um, He said all healings are temporary. And that's true. So is every asset, every job, every success. Because one day, we're all going to die. And it won't matter if I got a promotion or I got healed. But it will matter that I brought it to God and I connected with him. In Revelation, we're told of a new heaven and new earth in which We don't even need a sun because the presence of God will be so bright and that intimacy that we have with him will be so close and so profound as we adventure around the earth worshiping him will be so close to him. And we want to practice that now. We want to practice that. So this year, let's bring it to God. Let's bring it to him, everything, whatever it is, and practice that connection We also learn from Hezekiah that before all of his struggles, before he was running to the temple, he destroyed all the high places and the idols that were in the way of people coming to God. That's huge. That's the thing in scripture. If you read Kings and Chronicles, that's what comes up over and over again every time they list a new king. They say whether or not they destroy the high places. And pretty much every time it was they didn't. But that's, it mattered so much Why does it matter? An idol is anything that takes the place of something else. 
anything that goes higher than something else. We can idolize money, fame, people. We kind of know those things are wrong. It's a little more intuitive. But we forget that anything, anything can be an idol. Again, going back to my marriage, where I learn everything, because my wife's a genius. <laughs> um, for example, uh, work, my work. My wife is so thankful for my work and my job. It provides for us. It's a great thing and a great blessing and a gift from God. But if I start showing up at 7 p.m. every night, at 8 p.m., and I miss out on our family time, and I tell my wife that my work is now ahead of her and ahead of our kids, it's become an idol over her. And no matter how much of a blessing my work is, no matter how much of a wondrous thing that it is that God provided, she's going to start disliking my work. She's going to start, yeah, just being, being angry with it, even though it's a blessing because it's in the wrong place. I, I, literally anything can be an idol. Work, our kids, kids can be an idol over our spouse and over God. Even even worship and ministry can be an idol. We may spend so much time singing to God or serving other people or doing things that feel good and that are good, but if we do them in place of just going to God, they're an idol. Just like Hezekiah destroyed the servant that Moses made, that was a good thing. It was an awesome memory of what God had done to heal his people in the wilderness. But it became an idol, so God destroyed it. Real love is jealous. It's jealous because it knows its place. And it doesn't want anything to be in the way. So Hezekiah destroyed those idols so that the people would be with God and just go to him. So this year, as we start the new year, ask God, what are the idols in my life? What are the things that I'm putting in your place? What are the things that are keeping me from going to you because they're convenient or they fit with the culture around me? And ask God to destroy those things. But the very first thing that Hezekiah did, and again, let's go back to 2 Chronicles 29, verse 3. In the first year of his reign, in the first month, he opened the doors of the house of the Lord and repaired them. He brought in the priests and the Levites and assembled them in the square to the east and said to them, Hear me, Levites, now consecrate yourselves and consecrate the house of the Lord, the God of your fathers, and carry out the filth from the holy place. Now in our time, we don't have to all go worship in Jerusalem, in the temple. The temple has moved. And we see in 1 Corinthians, in both in chapter 3 and chapter 6, that the temple has moved in us, to be in me and to be in you. You were made as a temple. Your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit, made for worship. That place that all of Israel had to travel to go to, it's now, it's now in you. You were made for worship, and I don't know specifically in what way you were made for worship. You may be made for worship with music, 
It may be with carpentry, with foster care, with athletics, anything. But God has made you as his temple, as a temple of the Holy Spirit to worship. And the first thing Hezekiah did in his reign was open the doors to the temple, clean out the junk, and invite the priests in to begin worship. And if you read through Hebrews, you'll see that we don't need to have like little miniature priests that we put in our body, but we have one priest, one priest, the great high priest, Jesus, who is the one priest for all time and is himself the sacrifice offered for all time to us in the temple that is our body. So this year, if you haven't before, or if you want to do it again, just consciously open your heart to God. Clean out the junk. Invite Jesus, the priest, in and begin worship. Begin celebrating or restart that, that worship that you were made for. You as the temple of God. You were made for his worship and his glory. And then just be with God. You don't have to run to someplace else like Hezekiah or turn your head. You can just be with God. You as his temple with Jesus in it. And take whatever you have, whatever it is, good, bad, anything, and bring it to him and just be with him. Practice for heaven. And this year, this next year, can be a year even better than Hezekiah's reign. Let's pray. God, we thank you that you love us so much, that you would teach us through centuries of your goodness and your love, that you would reveal to us what it means to be with you. God, that you would chase after us and after our hearts. And God, that you would be accessible to us. God, that you would even come into our hearts, that you made us for worship. God, we thank you. We thank you for that. That's so beautiful. Help us in this year to realize and to worship you as we are, your temple. In Jesus' name, amen.